looks really creepy and weird when we transform, except yes. for Cassie. Because, like, those cover designs haunted my childhood. Yeah, I did not remember that being, like, textually a part of the book, that it's like, oh, it takes, like, five minutes to morph, and, and it's, it's, it's a real horror show. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part is when they're like, my bones don't hurt. <laughs> They feel like they should hurt. They don't hurt, but it's bad. Yeah, this is a bad bone feeling I have. Dane relatively skates over it, partially, I think, because you're, like, in her head. So it's just like, yeah, she's really picturing the wolf. And then she's a wolf, and it's great. She doesn't have five other friends doing it with her. Right, it's not like, oh, I looked across the room, and Jake was there, and, like... (laughs) Wait till you hear how gross he he looked. (laughs) I'm glad we didn't have to see Jake morph into or out of the flea morph, because I feel like that would have been bad. Okay, but, like, just you wait. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) No. Hello and welcome to My Name is Animorphs, a podcast where we talk about K.A. Applegate's hit series Animorphs and yell about it. You may also know this podcast as Tordal Recall, where we talk about Tamara Pierce's books and yell about them, but this is a Patreon bonus episode. You all asked for this. It is, it's going to be in the main feed, so it's not, it's like everyone gets this episode, but yeah. some some patrons did ask for it. A number of you asked for this and then demogra- democratically voted upon it. We can't say it's what you've all been waiting for, but we can guarantee that at least a few of you did desire it. Perhaps some of you were waiting for it. Perhaps. So I can guarantee that I specifically was <laughs> waiting for this and very excited about it. My name is Amy. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Animorphs for life. And if I were an Animorph, my battle morph would be a, I'm going to say like, big deer. But with antlers. A powerful deer with powerful antlers. (laughs) This is also a question we did not think about in advance, which is tricky. I did a lot when I was like nine through twelve. You did? Okay. Do you have are you are you ready to go then? (laughs) Sure. I'm Grace. My pronouns are she, her, and I would be a snow leopard, for sure. I've thought about it a lot. No further details. Please continue. Wait, did you say your pronouns? I blanked out for a second. I did. Yes. You were thinking too hard about different battle morphs. (laughs) I was thinking too hard about my battle morph. You just have to pick one at random like I did just now because I never actually wanted to be in this universe. I just liked the books. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I was really Um, worried that I would end up in it without choosing and I would just need to be prepared. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I feel like that's what like... Like, I don't have a lot of memories of, like, fantasizing about this as a kid, but I feel like that's what it was for me, is, like, not, like, oh, I wish that I was in this situation, but, like, if I were in this situation, how would I, like, be strategic about it, you know? (laughs) Cool, what would your name be? And what would your pronouns be in those situations? (laughs) I'm Abby, my pronouns are she, her, um, and my battle morph... This is definitely not what my answer would have been as a kid, but my first thought was a moose, and I'm going to stick to it (laughs) because moose are large and terrifying. (laughs) That's good. Hi, I'm Gus, and my pronouns are they, them, and I thought I would have a whole nother turn to think about this. Um, (laughs) And if I were um, 
crash-landed by an alien and given some magic powers to transform into whatever I wanted and I needed to do fighting because I had been made into a child soldier <laughs> against my will. Um, look, here's the thing. I've always loved cats. It would be some sort of cat. Look, let's go for saber-toothed tiger. Cool. That doesn't work. We don't have their DNA, do we? No, we probably do. Well... That's, let's talk a little bit about that. They do go back to dinosaur times in one of the Alternomorphs books. Okay, okay that doesn't make well. any sense at all. And I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to get into that. That's but I do AU. feel like there are a lot of animals, like, um, that we, that we have maybe some of their DNA, like, preserved mm-hmm. in amber or something like that. Like, we might not have their whole, like, mm-hmm. you know, bodies, but we might have, like, a little bit of their DNA. And I do feel like that would be a really interesting path to go down. Here, That's though, true. barring that mountain lion. <laughs> cool. Solid. All right, two cats, two antlered megafauna. Great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> ideal. So now that introductions are through, I have to tell you, we can't tell you who we are, which is the new name I've given for First Adventure, where we talk about <laughs> our experiences with these books. God, I hope you've renamed every section. <laughs> Who do you think I am? (laughs) Well, I can't tell you. (laughs) All right, I'm Amy, and I'm hosting this episode because you may notice I've talked about Animorphs a lot here. My library had all of them. I read all of these books. I personally owned four of them, including my favorite, book 12, The Reaction, where Rachel goes on a television talk show and has to make an alligator come out of her back during it. And Cassie morphs into Rachel and pretends to be Rachel. And it's really good. I love the Animorphs books. Do you just want to hit us quickly with how many Animorphs books there are? 54. Thank oh, right. You. Yes. Okay. So the Animorphs books were pu- started being published in 1995. The authors are K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant. Uh, 20 of the books were ghostwritten. Um, the mid-series books, you don't have to read any of those. Um, they're not... There's There are questions about their quality, but most of them were written by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant. If you want to read them now, they're available, a lot of them are available for free on a website called Richard's Animorph Forum. <laughs> Who's Richard? You yeah. don't know. To be clear, this is like legal and like has K.A. Applegate's blessing. Mm-hmm. It's not just a guy uploading pirated <laughs> copies. Yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't tell you to just go pirate some- no, I never would. No, That's yeah. why I'm giving you this legal route to Animorphs, Richard's Animorph Forum. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to diminish the importance of Richard's work by by like saying like, oh, it's legal, so we should, so it's not just some guy uploading it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So my background with Animorphs is, um. I don't know. I read a bunch of them, not in order. I think I read maybe like a dozen or something would be my guess. I didn't really, like, I was a small child, and I really thought that they were like Magic Treehouse or Boxcar Children where they didn't really have an order, (laughs) like where they didn't really have a strong continuity so you could just read them as one-offs. And like, honestly, it did work because (laughs) all of them do have extensive recapping of the plot at the beginning. (laughs) Which makes them, like, kind of rough to read in sequence as an adult, but as a kid, reading them out of order, it was fine. So, like, I know a lot of stuff that happened in Animorphs, but, again, not in any order. Like, I read that fly one, what number book was that? Okay, great. Cool. (laughs) Um, yeah, I read them a a lot. I don't know how many I think I read. 
<clears throat> more than a dozen, perhaps two dozen. Um, but hard to know because I only read them at my after school club and there was like a rolly cart that they brought in with books, but it would be like different books. I don't know the mechanics of that rolly cart. It's been a while. Um, like why were the books different? Um, but I would just pick, I knew I liked Animorphs, but like Abby said, like, I don't think I, well, the order would have been inaccessible to me. So I think I just decided it didn't matter. Like, I wouldn't have been able to read them in order because I would just get random ones. Um, and so uh, I would just pick them based on how cool the morph on the front looked. Um, <laughs> I definitely, like, often picked ones with cooler looking morphs. <laughs> yeah. But I also remember that I would, like, pick them and I kind of felt like, either I shouldn't be reading them or that I was signing myself up for kind of like a dark mission, the same as like when I read Goosebumps, which I knew I kind of wasn't supposed to read because um, I was like too young. So I would like take them and I would be like, this is going to be a real journey today at Rec Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are a real journey. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this was my first time reading any Animorph books. Wow. Yeah. The covers were a little intimidating as a child. The um, number of books, the sheer number of books, and the fact that I didn't know anything about them was intimidating. Uh, so I never got into them, um, which was, I think, which I am... Look, part of me is like, <laughs> oh, good job, Gus. This is a lot of very, very heavy and intense stuff that might have like made you upset as a child. But also, they're good. So... They are good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I did want to say that if you had asked me how many Animorphs books I thought there were before Amy said, um, I would have said like 212 or something like yeah. that. So that's <laughs> kind of reflects my like perception of the series, I think. They're endless and like every yeah. every library or like bookstore I've ever been in has has like four of them. And they're all different ones. Yeah. Yeah. Except for Amy's ones, apparently. I do think that uh, I do think that fifty four is lower than I would have guessed <laughs> for how many there were, um, but right, you never really see that many at a time usually. Wait, so Gus, do you want to describe potentially what is your only other previous experience of animorphs? Which is, <laughs> wait, were you even at that book club? No, I wasn't. Oh, you weren't. I okay, wasn't. So that has to go in my section. <laughs> yeah, I missed it. My other previous experience of animorphs that apparently only I experienced in this group was one time for book club none of us had read animorphs instead of amy so she just gave an hour-long powerpoint presentation on animorphs it was only 45 <laughs> minutes oh that's way different it was very long and detailed i'm so sad that i missed it i had to work <laughs> it would have been shorter if i demanded that you keep all of your questions until the end <laughs> that's fair <laughs> Wow, that's the real downfall of a lot of PowerPoints. You should have known. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's true. I'm really excited to discuss this with all of you. <laughs> I'm, it's nice to be, like, on top here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you get to have this experience. Our next segment is Come to the Sharing, Do Not Bring Weapons. <laughs> or, first test, which is where we summarize the plot of the book slash books that we read. I have a summary written, but it's- I feel like someone other than you should do the summary. Yeah, exactly. But if no one else wants to, I have a summary written. It's I'm glad page. you came prepped. 
um, between Abby and I, should we just like try and see what we come up with? Yeah, we can, let's let's just give it a shot. Should we go like book by book? Yeah, we can alternate. Um, but also, okay. I do want to comment on. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. This. How weird is, like, the club called The Sharing, it's never questioned. It's like, such a weird phrase. Just off the top, the weirdest part of that book. Okay. Um, Abby, do the first one, please. Okay. So the first book is narrated by Jake, who's the leader. <laughs> oh, my God. Nobody knows um, why. I have some stuff to say about that. But first book narrated by Jake. He's, you know, hanging out with his friends at the mall. Uh, his cool friends, they're at the video game store. They are teens. <laughs> yeah. He did a the basketball team, so he's a little bummed today. <laughs> hey, who's doing this summary? <laughs> um, yeah, trying to keep his mind off how he didn't make the basketball team because he was hoping it would bring he and his brother closer together because his brother's been weird and distant lately. But then, so it's, so he's hanging out with Marco, and then they meet up with Tobias, and then they meet up with Rachel and Cassie, and those are the five human animorphs, and they decide to walk home from the mall through the abandoned construction site, because the path, the route <laughs> between the mall and the rest of town just seems, like, incredibly dangerous. <laughs> um, this seems but, true so, to how malls work in my experience, though. Sure, sure. They're just desolate. <laughs> um, so, right, all these junior high students are hanging out at the mall. They decide to walk home through the abandoned construction site, as you do. Everyone does it. And while they're there, a flying saucer, or a, fl- a spaceship, it's not a flying saucer. They call it a flying saucer. But a spaceship crashes in the abandoned construction site. An alien gets out. The alien is an Andalite named Prince Elfangor. Yes, cool. Amy's nodding enthusiastically. <laughs> I'm excited you remembered. Yeah, I, you gotta know. Um, it's a pretty good sci-fi name, honestly. It is, yeah. Anyway, he's very injured, and he talks to them telepathically and tells them about the alien invasion threat of the Yerks. Yerks? Whatever. They take over people's bodies, and mm-hmm. they're coming to Earth and invading Earth, and he's he tried to fight them, but now he's dying. So he gives the teens the power to morph into animals in order to fight off this alien invasion. And then um, they, like, talk to him for a while, and then some other aliens show up that are very, very scary. (laughs) And the teens go, like, run and hide in the abandoned construction site. (laughs) And, of course, they watch as the very scary aliens horribly murder their friend, Prince Elfangor. (laughs) And it's very traumatizing (laughs) to both the teens and me, the reader of this book. Who is an adult? And that's chapter one. <laughs> that's just like the first chapter. That is not chapter one. That was like several chapters. That's These chapters books are so... one through three. These books are so short. <laughs> yeah, pick it up a tiny bit. This is really not sustainable. No, okay, that was like the only part I remembered, basically. Like, okay, so then I think Jake turns into a lizard to like spy on his assistant principal, who's like a, the, a controller is what they call people who are possessed by yurks or whatever. He finds out that his brother is also a yerk, which is a bummer. They try to go to this, like, big, gross swimming pool of yerks, where the yerks go when they come out of their human (laughs) bodies to try to rescue his brother. They fail at that super hard. They fight Visser 3, who's the scary yerk that they fight in every book that we've read. (laughs) This is an Andalite body. So I was gonna say that. Hey, 
That's a really important thing. And you I was going to say it. it. I was getting there. Yeah. It was important in the beginning, too. It was not important in the beginning. Visser 3 is an, is a Yerk who, he's the only Yerk in the galaxy who has an Andalite body, which means that he can also morph. Um, and then also there's, there's, uh, two other alien species, Hork, Bajir, and Taxons, who are also, uh, working with slash controlled by the Yerks, and they're also there. And that's book one. <laughs> okay. Book two, The Visitor. Uh, it's narrated by Rachel, the pretty one, slash less important girl leader. Um, and um, it's about Rachel has this friend who seems kind of distant, and then uh, they figure out, oh, and also they try and get closer to her because she's the daughter of, like, the top human controlled by a yerk. Um, the vice principal. So Rachel tries to get closer to her by becoming her cat. That really honestly takes up a lot yeah, of the book. Yeah, that's most of that book. Um, like the struggles <laughs> with the cat. Um, and then eventually, oh, and also once she's the cat, she like goes in the basement and they have like this room where they can um, hologram communicate with Visser 3. And I don't know, she's a cat. She fights people as a cat. Not that much happened in this book, to be honest. Um, I think that was basically it. I think you caught, you got it. <laughs> book one set, like, um, had to set up a lot of stuff, so there were more important details. The rest of them are very, like, episodic, I think. Yeah, um, some of my other notes include wondering if you can really say skank in middle grade <laughs> books. Um, yeah, same. We, like, we should have a whole conversation about that, probably. Absolutely. I don't think that Kay Applegate or Michael Grant knew what slang was or meant. <laughs> no, they did not. <laughs> yeah, there's not that much happened. Book three, Abby. Okay, book three, narrated by Tobias. I did realize while you were talking that I missed a very important thing that happened at the end of book oh, one. Yeah, you did. Which is that Tobias got permanently turned into a hawk. Book one, a lot happened. Um, <laughs> oh, in book two, we learn that Rachel still thinks he's handsome, which is <laughs> a whole Rachel. different conversation, guys. Oh my Rachel god. Rachel and Cassie are both furries. We can come back to that point also. Great. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly how I wanted this episode to go. <laughs> um, so, right. So an important fact about morphing is that it, you can't stay in the morph for more than two Earth hours, quote unquote. <laughs> or Which is convenient. Two of your that, Earth like, hours. They're everyone's hours. Two of your Earth hours. Um, no, I mean, I think analytes do have a different timekeeping system, which is weird that it goes exactly into That's Earth hours. That's what I'm saying. Anyway. Very convenient. Okay, book three, narrated by Tobias, the bird one. Yeah, so so you can't stay in a morph for longer than two hours or you'll get stuck in it. That happened to Tobias at the end of book one. Now it's book three. He's, like, really having some mental difficulties. Um, really oh, struggling funny. with being a bird. Maybe a little bit suicidal. <laughs> maybe very suicidal. Um, so a lot of the book is him just, like, having an existential crisis and, like, trying to fight with his bird instincts and bird nature. The main plot of it is, like, that the gang discovers a, a ship that the Yerks use to, like, gather water and, like, refill and take to their mothership. And they try to, like, get inside it and turn off the, um, the, like, camouflaging so that people would see it and then, like, Earth at large would know that aliens were there. They very much fail at that. They get trapped. Tobias saves them by shooting a gun with his bird hands. 
Um, <laughs> and they destroy the ship, so that's progress. But most of this is just about, like, Tobias's mental health and his deeply tortured psyche. Oh, no. Everything about Tobias is tragic. He got stuck as a hawk forever, and no one's really worried about him because he was kind of, like, a borderline case kid. Like, yeah. he was... Yeah, like no right. one's worried I, I wrote about down Tobias. a note like are are they gonna deal with the fact that he's a missing person? And the answer is like not really. Like well, that Jake yeah. sent a message to his his yeah, he like apparently moved back and forth between custody from his aunt and uncle, and Jake sent the uncle a message from the aunt and the aunt a message from the uncle so that each of them thinks that Tobias is staying with the other one but apparently like neither of them have bothered to check on him yet so that's not great. No it's not also even his friends aren't like kind of worried about him but not that worried and mostly they're just like oh we said something that was kind of insensitive sorry bird friend like we forgot that you're a bird they also weren't super good friends at the beginning. Like, Tobias just hangs around Jake because Jake is, like, nice to him, unlike everyone else, and Rachel sort of has a crush on him. Yeah. It's sad. I'm very upset. I became very fond of Tobias way faster than I expected to. Yeah, oh, man, you gotta read the third book. You'll be, like, you'll be into it. I will. Um. Yeah. Okay, guys, it's been like half an hour. We gotta do book four. I know. <laughs> book four, narrated by Cassie, the nice one, slash animal one. Um, X shows up. Wow, I really was not taking plot-based notes at this point. I'm sorry. Um, but I mean, I can definitely do this one if you want. <laughs> I'm also here. No. <laughs> yeah, the message. Uh Cassie has been and Tobias have both been having these dreams where they know that something's out in the ocean somebody's asking for their help they think it's an andalite so they uh, construct a plan to like go out into the ocean Uh, they have a very beautiful moment with a whale uh, and then they do get in the ocean and they go down and there's like a ship that had crashed and they're able to get into the ship and it is an andalite it's like the brother of Prince Elfangor uh, and his name is Axe and then some other letters. Um, And then (laughs) um, they take him and they basically are able to, like, rescue him and bring him back to land. And then he constructs a human morph. And he's also a kid, just like that. Oh, he's also a teen. He's a cool teen alien. And that's why he's in the ship instead of fighting. Um, But he's, like, sad because his brother died and then he, like, kind of joins their quest to save humanity. Um, There's a very good teen fact about Axe, which is Sometimes, like in this book, they asked him a question about like how Andalite science works. And he was like, well, I wasn't really paying attention in class that day. So who knows? (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah, he's a good kid. And those are the four books we read. Yep. Mm -hmm. So right. This is like, you know, kind of retroactive at this point. But like, we're going to be talking spoilers for sure for the first four books, but probably not for, like, endgame series stuff. Yeah, for instance, how that. we just described the entire plot. So hopefully if you were attached to the idea of reading those uh, without spoilers, <laughs> you would have figured that out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I also just um, want to just, like, really quickly make it clear that they're fighting, but as the only soldiers in an intergalactic war, but in the fourth book... Axe basically said, like, someone could come in the next one to two years. So that's how long they have to do this, probably, as far as we know in these first four books. Ominous. Thank you for the summaries. Our next segment is Run the Morph Cube. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Wait, is there a Morph Cube? 
Yeah, that's yeah, how they, that's got, how their they got their powers. morphing powers. Oh, okay, okay, mm. okay. Was it called a morph cube? It was just called, like, a cube, I think, because they didn't okay, really know what okay. it did at that point. Yeah, it's right, called... Yeah. I'm gonna reference some terminology that happens later in these names, mm. so I might have to explain them. This is Run the Morph Cube, where we talk about world building and world building. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, like, writing stuff, right? Because right. I have some of that. And writing stuff. So, who has something to put forward because I have a list but I really don't think I should be running this (laughs) but you are running this um I do have kind of like an overarching thing I was thinking about I guess Mm -hmm. so something that I think is interesting is that this is definitely like sci-fi and even though we normally talk about fantasy a lot of the people on our like panel in general also read a lot of Mm sci-fi and Uh, Abby, you and I have been having this kind of reoccurring conversation about, like, learning to read different genres and how uh, sci-fi especially, or at least for me, my experience has been um, sci-fi, you kind of need to know how to pick up the information that you need and let other things be questions. um, And that's sort of a skill that you need. And this book, I definitely was like, wow, this is kind of well-constructed sci-fi. You know, we've got some like big universe stuff happening that we can kind of keep track of. And then we also have the micro story and that's really common structuring in sci-fi books. So it does kind of teach you to read sci-fi. And I didn't read a lot of sci-fi when I was Mm -hmm. a kid. And I honestly think there was like relatively little compared to how much fantasy there was for middle grade. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was kind of cool to be like, oh, this is good sci-fi for middle grade readers. Yeah, totally. Uh, although the the suitableness for the age group <laughs> sort of debatable it's, on some other points. It's wild. But structure wise. Yeah, I mean, I like I think it's very um it's very like tell don't show in some ways. Like every book you get the narrator of that book being like, well, here's who I am and here's who my friends are. Like, this is the quiet one and this is the, you know, the, like, wisecracking, jokey one. We didn't talk about Marco because he didn't (laughs) narrate a book yet. He's very rude. He's a rude boy. They're very conversational books in terms of writing stuff. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. But they're also very, like, um... And they feel so 90s. They feel exactly like Babysitter's Club at some points. And I mean, right, it's like, it's very clearly written for kids. So like, you know, it's not a bad thing that it's like very like telling you everything that's happening and what people are thinking and feeling, but it did feel like notably different from reading like adult or YA books in a way that Tamara Pierce does not to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially like, you know, sometimes someone will say like a funny comment or like a joke and they'll it'll just have the sentence we all laughed <laughs> and it's just like really stuck out to me that like that's not how you would write an adult book yeah or it'll be something like very dramatic but the sentence will end in an exclamation point <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh also the middle grade moment where it uh, is like uh, describes each person's outfit. Uh, like, we yes. don't normally do that in adult books. <laughs> but we should. But, but we, we should. should. Uh, uh, yeah, but then at the same time, you have this, like, big, like, there's, besides what's happening with the child soldiers on Earth, there's also a galactic war and, like, multiple species of aliens. And clearly, things are happening on a very large scale. And that's, yeah. like, cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it did feel really, like, dissonant to me between the like you know the very sort of simple and straightforward like writing and plot and like oh like Cassie like has trouble making decisions sometimes and asserting herself and like Marco 
like masks his negative emotions with comedy <laughs> whatever and also um, like side note they've all accepted death <laughs> right <laughs> like, just, okay so like in the first 40 pages it went from like we're some teens hanging out at the mall to like okay here's an actual quote from page 41 of my book at the very end, he cried out. His cry of despair was in our heads. His cry will always be in our heads. <laughs> like, it's not it's not adult fear for me where it's like, oh, this stuff is scary because they're kids and they shouldn't have to do it. It's like very like legitimately scary stuff to me. Like, it's worse because they're kids, but it's not just scary because they're kids. It's scary because of the horrors of war. Every single book, every single kid knows for sure they'll die, and they accept that fact. Yeah. There's also, in the third book, there was a point where Tobias was like, oh god, they finally caught us, and it's like, Tobias, you've got 51 more of these. (laughs) (laughs) Tobias, this is gonna be very bad for you. Well, yeah, I mean, both Tobias and Rachel had a moment where they were like, well... It's over. I'm gonna die now. In books two and three. <laughs> and then Jake and Cassie had one, and I think book four. These teens have a lot going on in their lives. In this, in the this 1990s, uh, in this it's 1990s. So 90s. But don't be worried. We also definitely know who is Miss Fashion and who isn't Miss Fashion. Yeah. A oh phrase God, that I comes love- up more than once. Not sure why. <laughs> because it's important to their characterizations. Sure. <laughs> okay wait like on a world building note in terms of like how 90s it is just wanted to make really sure to bring up the fact that the dolphins at the zoo are named after the friends from friends which made me wonder are the six animorphs the friends from friends also ironically rachel is monica (laughs) sure i don't know enough about either the animorphs or the friends from friends to make to understand this are we talking about the 90s? Yeah. yeah. Okay, because there's this sentence in the second book where, who, who says it? Who says it? I, I, don't, I don't actually know if this is a 90s thing. I don't know if it's a teen thing. I don't know if it's teens being written by grown-ups thing. But somebody says, that was so absolute. <laughs> yeah, that's not real. That's absolutely not real. What does it mean? I can understand it from context. <laughs> yeah, is linguistics Carter, which we'll get to eventually, I'm sure, but is it just like, God, could you ask a teen before you use slang? Like, <laughs> Maybe that's how people sounded in the 90s. I don't Yeah, we don't, like, so. maybe it sounds uncool to us because it's what teens were saying in the 90s and that was before we were teens. You teen. guys, I've watched Boy Meets World. Like, this is not how they were talking. That's a good point. Yeah, we had to watch television. We didn't have any TV on demand. We watched a lot of stuff made in the 90s in our day and read a lot of stuff made in the 90s in our day. I have never heard the phrase, that is so absolute before in my life. (laughs) And like, if you are older than us or our age and you have heard that before, let us know. I have not. Or if you're currently on a large campaign to bring it back and you're mad that we're slandering your efforts, like... (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) then i'm sure your campaign is really absolute but um (laughs) um i i also really liked this is not a linguistics thing but it is a 90s thing just like how regularly it came up as a plot point 
that like Jake's brother could be listening on an extension. <laughs> Yeah, because the phones like rereading this I was just like how would you you could not you could adapt this to the modern era but it's so much better in the 90s because yeah. it's like what if what if Tom's on the other line or like yes mother we are going to watch a video cassette in our basement do not do not come yeah. to there right or like they had a moment where like their excuse for meeting up was that Jake called everyone individually and was like hey want to come over I've to my house and CD. listen to the new album Wait, that might have been Rachel, actually. I'm not sure. I think it was Jake. He's like, everybody, I got the new CD. Not, like, the new something CD. No, just the new album that's out. Which is also good because they do reference actual bands over the course of this series. (laughs) Um, Which, notably, there is a book where Cassie's mom doesn't want her to listen to bands that aren't, like, morally upright. And she has a Nine Inch Nails album, but she convinces her mom it stands for Nice is Neat. And I think about that a lot. (laughs) Nice is neat. So that's the 90s world building that uh, this book did. It wasn't even world building. That's just the real world. (laughs) Well, it's a version of the real world. That's true. The real world as imagined by two grown adults writing teens. Mm -hmm. Two ghost writers (laughs) with something to prove. (laughs) To talk about Animorphs, we have to talk about the morphing, and it's all bad. I just wanted to draw particular attention to the phrase... I can't remember what animal was being turned into at this point. Tail squirted out? Someone described them growing a tail as a tail squirted out of my back. Yeah. Also, like, more than once the analogy of, like, when you transform back and the tail gets sucked up like spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so bad. Why? It appears at least twice. bad. The morphing descriptions are so visceral in this book. Morphing is never made to seem pleasant, even with Cassie, who's good at it. And they're like, she's almost elegant. And then it'll be like, oh, then Cassie morphed into a trout. And that was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it'll be like her skin dried out and turned gray and then split into scales. Teeth. Teeth in places they shouldn't be. Definitely. That happens a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, always describes the way that the proportions are wrong in an exactitude that makes me very uncomfortable. Body horror is a big draw for teens. Oh, absolutely. And preteens. That's what being a teen is all about. Your body is changing. (laughs) And it's bad. It is a metaphor for their changing bodies, maybe. But (laughs) is it? There are some other, like, rules about morphing, though, which one of them is the two-hour limit, which Tobias breaks and gets trapped as a hawk forever. There's also, um, in order to morph an animal, you have to acquire its DNA, which you do by just, like, giving it a little pat on the head, and then it gets real quiet, Mm -hmm. and then you morph into specifically that animal with its memories that it's gotten up to that point. Yeah, that's kind of... Okay, well, one, I had a question, which is, like, Age doesn't come into it because, like, you don't you don't get the injuries of the animal that you're morphed into because it's based on uh, just DNA. But you do apparently turn into, like, an exact clone of that animal at the current age that it's at. Yeah. So, like, even if you're a kid, you turn into, like, an adult gorilla, which is weird to me. Yeah. But it's also weird that, that like, if several of the kids acquire the same animal, 
for example, if three of them acquire the same wolf and then all turn into wolves, they're all just clones of the exact same wolf. Right, yes. which is weird because they say that the original animal is freaked out by seeing a copy of itself, but like yeah. when they are the same, when they're all clones, that doesn't bother the animals or like their instincts. Well, um, usually they do end up morphing into different animals. I think with the trout it was different, but I also think that trouts have a much more limited, like, intelligence or a very different <laughs> intelligence. But the wolves, too, they were all, like, four of them were the same female wolf. Or three of them. A thing that we should describe here probably about the morphing process is the fact that they're basically, like, creating an animal from this DNA that to some extent has its own animal brain and instincts that they have to sort of contend with, with their human brain. So like, obviously the humans would know that they were three humans morphing into the same wolf, but the like wolf brain might not know that. Right. And like they talk about when they're prey animals, it's really hard for them to get control of like the fear that the animal has. Um, Which also, sorry, Raises another really important question for me, which is, um, in the, at the end of book four, Axe gets, acquires DNA from the three human animorphs, four, whatever, four, yeah, the four human animorphs, and then turns into, like, a human who's a combination of the four of them. Did he create a human with a human brain that he then had to, like, suppress the human brain? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, so there is just, like, a person inside there who's not Axe. Yeah, and also not any of the Animorphs, but not no. not any of the Animorphs. Okay, the other thing is, A, these books have kind of a high degree of continuity problems for books that are only, like, <laughs> 100 pages, so it doesn't seem yeah. that hard to check for continuity problems. <laughs> but, like, so when they're switching, when they can only be in it for two hours, why don't they strategically... Like, it's so scary that they get so close to their limit. So why wouldn't they, like, run all the way to where they need to be, remorph, and then start their time over? In the first couple books, it seems like they can't do that. But then in the fourth book, they do it with the dolphins. Is it just, like, the time delay? Or is there, like, fatigue involved? So I think that part of it is, like... The fact that morphing is really unpleasant and difficult for them, especially early on. Like, you read the books and they're not good at it yet. Yeah. Um, it also takes them, like, five minutes. So, like, that's definitely a potential concern or more. Like, mm-hmm. it, when they start out, it takes them a really long time to do it. Yeah, and there's always the possibility that someone will find them and will okay. be like... Hey, kids, like, there are so many excuses like, oh, yeah, these are my bear boots. Don't worry about it. They're my bear boots. <laughs> this is my Halloween costume. I'm just practicing. It's very realistic. Cassie doesn't have a tail. That's just your sleep brain, Dad. <laughs> I think half of it is just using whatever drama drama tools you have at your disposal, but I think that there is a justification in universe for it. Okay. Yeah, I was just like, be more strategic, because they keep almost getting trapped, trapped, and it's so scary. (laughs) They're also like 13 years old and very new at this. That's true. Yeah, and I I do think that over the four books that we've read, you can see them getting a little better at, like, the strategy of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, like, they didn't try to swim 20 miles out as dolphins, they morphed into seagulls and then morphed back into humans and then morphed into dolphins. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's (laughs) nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's very stressful for everyone involved. 
Yeah, I also just want to say, because we're talking a little bit about tactics, I want to point this out because I have read all of these books. These first four books really do a great job just being like irony or foreshadowing, like all over for all of it. It's incredible. And also exposing every character's fatal flaw. Yeah, when we get to spoilers, I want to ask if some things are foreshadowing or like just weird (laughs) then we'll talk about that in spoilers won't we yes yeah i definitely feel like i can see everyone's fatal flaws except for jake's probably Mm. jake's is that he's boring what (laughs) (laughs) i like all the other ones Okay, so I think we also need to just really quickly talk about the alien races that are uh, around in this book. If you want to do that, go for it. I don't have any thoughts about them. Okay. I was really surprised. Like, they go to so much trouble to describe so many things, but they don't really describe the aliens, like, the physical form of the aliens. Like, in some of the books at all, or, like, till halfway through the book, because I kept forgetting, like, what is a hork whatever? What does that look like? One of them's big centipede. One of them, I don't remember. One of them, Slug. I mean, the, the Hork-Bajir are kind of like snaky dinosaurs with a bunch of knives all over their body. That's right. And they're the ones that are like, oh, they were a peaceful race. That's harder to remember than Big Centipede, Slug. Yeah. If you look up the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, there's a picture of the, a Hork-Bajir on it if you need that. How many spin-offs of this series are there? So there are two Alternomorphs books, um, four Hork-Bajir, Elemist, Visser, and Andalite Chronicles. And there are also, I think, two, like, ones where they just break time. <laughs> and you've read all of those? I haven't read all of them. There are okay. a couple of choose-your-own-adventure ones that are the Alternomorph ones that I didn't read. And I honestly didn't read the one where they go to dinosaur times. I just know a lot about it. Okay. Okay. Cool. I guess the one thing that I did have to say about aliens is, like, they did establish very much, like, oh, the Hork-Bajir are good, peaceful aliens who are slaves to the Yerks. The Taxons, as a race, are dirty, evil collaborators. (laughs) 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 They did not explain, like, I mean, so that means that there are two whole alien races in this that are, like, they're just evil. Super evil. Like, I mean, I I recognize that there's no way for the Animorphs to know like, why the taxons would be collaborating, but, like, why? That's what I'm saying about, like, there's a whole... <laughs> there's an answer. ...intergalactic political landscape that I'm assuming comes in yeah. more later in the books. Amy says, yes. <laughs> there's so much fun gray morality uh-huh. in this I mean, series. Right, like, I can definitely see, and I think I might have actually read some book that sort of talked about, like, like the Yerks kind of have to like, possess people's bodies to do anything, and that's just, like, how they've evolved, and that sucks. So there's that. But there's also, in these books, like, oh, the Yerks do want to take over the Earth and kill all animals that aren't necessary for humans to live, and just, like, make a bunch of species extinct. Cuz. <laughs> Cuz they, they're bad. They're not good people. <laughs> as a species. Evil, yucky slug? Slug guys. Okay, can we talk about linguistics? Because I want to talk about linguistics. Let's talk about linguistics. Oh, I just have one quick thing, which is like, there's no way these two uh, authors know what some of the slang means. Uh, but like, especially, well, they 100% don't know what skank means because it's not used appropriately and it's not appropriate <laughs> for a middle grade book at all. 
No. Yeah. No. So, like, why did you pick that? K.A. Applegate? <laughs> and Michael Grant. And Michael Grant. No one's exempt. <laughs> there was also a point where I think Marco said something about, like, oh, you think a girl is hot, but then it turns out she's a dog, which I know is real slang. Doesn't seem like a thing that should be in a middle grade book. Also seems like it's from, like, the 1950s, but that could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just feel like there's some real bad 90s stuff. I mean, like, linguistic, this is not as much linguistics, but in, like, the same conversation, too, they're, like, uh, Rachel is thinking about one of her gymnastics friends, and she's like, oh, she doesn't start herself like some girls who want to be into gymnastics oh, and that seems yeah. like bad but bad in a specific 90s way so yeah. i wanted to comment on that not because it's linguistics but because like maybe that's how you think teens think but it's not that good to put in a book mm, no mm -hmm. i have two linguistics things one rachel swears a lot and it's good and they never <laughs> say the squares on screen but they say a lot of like she said some words I didn't realize Rachel even knew. Yeah, I also noted that because it made me like her. I yeah. love Rachel so much. And I love that, like, putting that in Jake's narration, like, I didn't even know that Rachel knew these words, makes it sound like Jake is, like, very scandalized <laughs> about the swear. Jake's just, like, in the corner eating his saltines. Like, <laughs> <laughs> covering Marco's ears for him. <laughs> okay, so the other, my other linguistics thing was about the aliens. Yeah. And the fact that a lot of them speak a combination of alien and human languages, which I guess is like a pigeon or a creole, but why? Why <laughs> if they're all Yerks, why don't they just all speak Yerk language? <laughs> Can they speak Yerk language with the bodies? I don't know. There's a there's a few different world building questions here. One is like, do Yerks have a language that they speak when they're in their natural form? You know, do they have their own language at all? What's the deal with that? The other question is like, okay, so I guess we know that Hork Bajir can pronounce human words. Are the other words that they're saying Hork Bajir words or a different language? Like, I we we're missing a lot of information here. Right. Also, like the the written out like phonetic, like oh the language sounded like like I don't mm -hmm. know if you found that to be affected effective. I didn't find it to be super effective. Like it is sort of evocative. No, I basically skimmed over. Yeah, but it does. Why does it go on for so long? What am I supposed I to know. get from that? I definitely wasn't, like, reading the individual words. I was just going, like, alien, 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 get them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which, right, like, on a narrative level, obviously they're speaking partially English so that, like, the Animorphs can partially know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. But in-universe, why? Well, also yeah. there's, yeah, it would make sense if there were a lot of words that were very specific to Earth, but they're kind of But they're of not, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. right. It's not like they're saying, like, school or, like, you know, like, they're not using, like... McDonald's. <laughs> right. They're not using, like, English place names. They're using English, like, verbs. Yeah. Yeah. Also, because of who I am, I did go through and try and figure out if they were using English for, like, particular phonemes that might be things that they could say. Uh -huh. And it's not consistent. In case you were wondering, I checked. It's not consistent. <laughs> Thanks, Grace. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Grace. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm gonna flip the page. We don't have cool. to talk about the sharing, I guess. <laughs> I mean, the it's sharing is creepy. Yeah. We really don't. There's a cult. Yeah. The sharing's a cult. That's all. It's probably like 
dovetails in the 90s era and it's fake Scientology. Who knows? Anyway. It is pretty Scientology. I mean, they keep their reference point for it is the Boy Scouts, but it is like a co-ed all ages Boy Scouts. So not really like the Boy Scouts. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so weird that everyone's accepting that that's a normal thing for a club to be called. Like, hey, do you want to come play volleyball <laughs> yeah. on the beach with my club? The sharing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was so funny to me in the first book where they were like, like everyone was kind of weirded out by the sharing, but then they were like, let's like check it out because it might be a Yerk thing. And so then they were like, okay, well, I'll go to this like barbecue that the, the, the brother is going to bring us to this barbecue for the sharing. And then they hang out there and like eat some barbecue on the beach. And, like, play some volleyball. And then they're all like, yeah, I guess the sharing is fine, actually. I guess it's regular. (laughs) I'm having a good time. This was fun. (laughs) What a normal club. (laughs) And then, obviously, Jake sneaks away and hears, like, his brother say, oh, we should kill him. Well, even before that, he was like, huh, Huh. His brother was like secretly sending brother messages through oh, right. his body because I know. also I just want to point out everyone controlled by the Yerk is totally aware of everything that they're doing the whole time. They just have no control over their body except when they fight very hard for it. And that stuck with me. Yeah, that's oh my really God. horrific. Yeah, isn't it horrifying? I really feel like his brother's name is Tom, right? I really feel like Tom is yeah. like the uh secret like super sympathetic character in the book like there's mm-hmm. a whole story there about him trying to protect his brother which is like a kind of story that really like i'm always like touched by so i was really like oh my god yeah definitely and right there's this whole thing where the the yurks have to come out of their host bodies mm-hmm. once every three days so like every three days you're not in control of your body and the yurks like take you down to a pit and then you, like, regain control of your body for a few hours, but you can't do anything, and then they, like, repossess you. It's very bad. It's real bad. It's It really stuck with me. These are very horrific books, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, Like, I, really starting with book one. Mm-hmm. I read these, like, a full decade ago, and the, like, Yerk pool scene I was still, like, full and complete in my brain. Um, yeah. It's so evocative, and yeah. it's not in any other media, you know, this is very, um, I mean, maybe I'm missing a reference, and I guess that it is kind of, like, playing on some tropes that definitely are around, but to me, that felt, like, very unique. Yeah, God, it was real intense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're hard to host. You say, we don't have to talk about this, and then we just talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so before we leave Run the Morph Cube, um, we have a character section, which I have deigned to call Five Teens with a Death Wish. Oh. <laughs> which is, that's not like a fun joke that I'm making that is a it's quote not. from the book. You said it in a, a fun joke voice, but it's a real quote from a real book. Yeah, it's a real quote from the book, and I said it like that partially because like, that is the worst name possible I could have given this thing, but it's also the truest name. Yeah, oh, now so that you've true. called it that, I do feel like I need to talk about the fact that Tobias literally is suicidal. Yeah. yeah. I it's love Tobias. Very upsetting. Oh my god, you guys, the the most real home he's ever had is Maybe. an attic, he's a bird, and he hates it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh my god, Tobias just like using the hawk as a mechanism to like not be himself for a while is very upsetting. Right, like, he sort of retreats into the bird brain and just, like, goes, like, by instinct. And it... But that's also upsetting because he's really, like, 
scared of losing his humanity. It's messed up. But he, like, likes being a hawk. Yeah. But he's also, like, very much afraid of not being a human Right, anymore. I mean, in the first book, they kind of set it up as, like, oh, it's basically fine because, um... You, I mean, not like it's basically, like, they set it up as pretty horrific, but, like, relatively less horrific than other stuff in that book, because so much of the time, when Tobias is human, he wants to be a hawk, yeah. and he's, like, like, they mention several times before he gets trapped in hawk form, that, like, you know, like, everyone else has to keep reminding him to change back, because he just wants to be a hawk, so you're like, okay, He's a hawk, and that's fine. But, like, once he's a hawk forever... Like, he wanted that. He did not want that. No, he did not want that forever. <laughs> yeah, so that's upsetting. That wasn't actually the thing that I wanted to talk about. I felt like I needed to make this section happen because Shelby's not here, so I need to talk about Shelby's least favorite trope of all time. The white boy who's a leader, not because of any demonstrated leadership characteristics, just because he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Within the series, it's all very much like, yeah, Jake's our leader, you know. And I'm wondering if it's just yeah. like, is he just the oldest? Like, is he just <laughs> no, the I think oldest? he's the he's the only white boy who's not a hawk. Yeah, <laughs> and also he does sports. <laughs> but not even well. He didn't make the basketball team. But he does sports. I don't know. There's such a um, you know, in the other books, in the later books and their POVs, you can kind of see some like Jake characteristics of, oh, like, he's pretty thoughtful and considerate, and like I can get on board with that. But the fact is that they treat him like their leader from chapter one, when they're not even friends and haven't done anything as a group. Mm -hmm. So it's just like such ex so extremely a very informed characteristic of like like, he says, like, okay, we should all do this as a group. And then everyone's like, no, Jake, you're the leader. And he's like, okay, I guess. Yeah, like, the thing is, that is, like, a bothersome way that they do it. But if you look at the other characters, I understand why Jake is the leader, you know? Because Cassie is, like, so much doesn't want to take the lead that even when she right. is the most informed mm -hmm. person about a situation, she doesn't want to make that decision. Tobias is, like really doing his own thing and also not that used to talking to people ever. Rachel is incredibly rash. Like, she's not that rash at this point, but, like, she will just kind of ignore what people tell her and go do her own thing. She's very much an Alana in that way, and Alana's not necessarily a leader over large groups of people. Wow. Great work, Amy. Doing a Tamara <laughs> Pierce reference on your Tamara <laughs> Pierce podcast. I'm so far. I honestly think that Marco could be a good leader for them, though. I think, yeah, Marco definitely could be a good leader. I mean, a major reason he's not is that he's not very enthusiastic about doing Animorph stuff early on. Right. And he's also, I don't know if they would accept it from him be at this point, because he's kind of callous towards the sure. other people, whereas Jake, like, knows more of them better and is more caring. Like, not to, like, normally you know I'd be all over, like, this boy does not need to be a leader just because he's a white boy. And I am, I'm still on that, because it's clearly, like, a constructed part of the narrative that that's who gets to be the leader. But it is kind of a nice moment uh, in the fourth book when Cassie says, like, I really don't want to make this decision. And Jake says, like, I will make it for you. I will take that on. Like, you don't have to. Um, like, that's yeah. nice. No, I don't think that he's a bad leader. I just think that, like, <laughs> It's clearly, like, a narratively enforced thing that he's the only good leader. Right. And, like, it's such an obvious choice. Mm hmm Right. Like, I think that it's 
it's pretty justified, or it's somewhat justified in the narrative. Not pretty justified, um, but like outside the narrative, it doesn't have to yeah. be that way. And especially when he starts getting called Prince Jake, and you're just like, really? <laughs> right. Really? Yeah. I prefer it when he gets called Big Jake, though. Big Jake is very good. It, is it? <laughs> yeah. Because he's a teen. It talks a lot about the boys in terms of how big they are. It really Not does. Tall, big. Like the fact that Marco is small, I do think gets mentioned in every book. Mm-hmm. Right. And also for the girls, you have the fashion one and the non-fashion one. And for the boys, you have the big one and the non-big yeah. one. And the hawk. And the, and hawk. the hawk one. <laughs> Who of course is a boy because obviously the group has to be majority boys. <laughs> yeah. And a hawk. <laughs> We talked a little bit, I mean, we sort of started this conversation earlier. I think it is interesting that you can see, like, the uh, characters are very much being defined by each having, like, a characteristic strength and a characteristic weakness. Um, And I think that that's pretty strong for, like, a group book. And it's interesting that they kind of make them, they're pretty distinct characters for a book with a a large cast. Again, it's very, like, like, they're not showing that as much as they're telling it their voice in narration often sounds like not that different, but I also don't think that it needs to. Like, you know, I I think for a kid's book, it's pretty reasonable to say Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, Cassie is like the quiet one and like the peacemaker, but she has trouble making decisions. And like, that makes her a different distinct character, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And also so much of their narrative voice is just like, I was so freaked out, I was definitely going to die, and I came to peace with that. Um, and there's not that many ways to show that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. God, I'm really worried about these teens. These teens accept to death. <laughs> Give them the Animorphs therapy. <laughs> Our next segment is Social Justice Corner, which we never have to rename. <laughs> it's always relevant. <laughs> yep. It's always the corner of every book. We're starting with gender and queer stuff in the Animorphs books. <laughs> um, so, like, the patriarchy is there a lot. It is the 90s, so I yeah, guess... Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, I was gonna say, all of the ways it's there are such 90s ways. Uh, like, there's a lot of talk about the boys and the girls. Mm-hmm. But particularly the the worst gender politics time for me, and I'm sure we all have our own, uh, was the wolf pack debate. Oh. Really painful. Yeah, that yeah. was not great. Uh, do you want to explain what happens there? Yeah, so they're basically they have two wolves that they need to like copy, but they all need wolf morphs, and they can't be two boys, uh, boy wolves, because of dominance problems apparently. Um, and there are two boys in the group, so they have to decide which boy needs to be a girl wolf. So they flip a coin, and then they argue about how like boys they're always fighting about dominance and who's the alpha anyway. You know, boys, yeah. uh-huh. uh, and it, it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, that was... Uh, it's a bad time. Really unnecessary, I felt like. Yeah, and then... I hope I made that point coherently. I got a little distracted in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we got it, though. Like, yeah, it was a really unnecessary conversation about, like, who's the, like, alpha male human or whatever. I don't know. Oh, and then obviously Jake gets to be the boy wolf. Did you really think it would happen the other I did way? have that as a note. Even though they flipped a coin, obviously Jake, the cool leader guy, is the, the male wolf. And Marco, the funny sidekick guy, has to be the female wolf. And he hates it. Even though, like, I feel like as characters... They're wolves! 
Yeah, like, as characterization, I would absolutely buy that Jake is the person who's like, oh, it really matters to Marco that he be the male yeah. wolf, so I'll be the female wolf. But no, obviously yeah. it would be too emasculating. <laughs> like, They're wolves. Wolves don't have gender identities. Yeah, no, that was bull****. Mm -hmm. I guess my least favorite instance of the patriarchy was the fact that it was, I mean, not that this is even, like, unrealistic, but I still hated it, was the fact that it was, like, mentioned early on that it was, like, not safe for the girls to walk back from the mall by themselves, and then later, Rachel does just randomly get attacked by a guy, not for an alien reason, just because that's what happens to teen girls. That's just what happens to you when you're at a strip mall or a regular mall. Uh, so, she does partially turn into an elephant and ruin his life but that was kind of cool that was that was a nice like weird power fantasy i guess probably yeah yeah i don't know but still like let's not like validate the the idea that girls can't that girls shouldn't walk home alone <laughs> ever be anywhere by their own unless they yeah. can turn into an elephant partially <laughs> unless they can turn into an elephant <laughs> yeah, that was a bummer. You can really just smell the way that the world has really changed for middle grade literature since um, these books were published in 1995. Yeah, but I also think that not all yeah. middle grade literature published in 1995 had this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with no. you. I'm not going to pretend that, like, this is just what every book looked like. But also, like, I think that there has been a palpable change uh, mm -hmm. since then yeah. in the general I mean, landscape. We talk about pretty similar things with Alana, I think. It's just, like, in some ways easier for us to read how this is gross because it's, like, comparative to what happens in our world. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, like, this is not pretend... Like, this is very much just set in the actual 90s. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, I totally acknowledge that this might be the fault of lack of access to Urban Dictionary, but, like, skank is a really gendered insult. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and, and Marco was making a lot of, like, you know, PG versions of very sexual comments, like, all the time, yeah. which is a right. weird way for it to go. It does not right. stop so much. And also... Like, when I was a kid, I remember liking Marco, and I like Marco's character type in other books, but, like, this time I just could not like him because of the, like, yeah, because he's kind of a jerk. Yeah, and I mean, we also didn't get a Marco book, so we didn't get his point of yeah. view, so we're only seeing, like, his, like, fake personality where he pretends he's confident. I um, mean, I definitely, like, you know, had the understanding from reading these books that, like, he's you know, using annoying humor to cover up, like, a lot of, like, deep-seated issues and, and, like, trauma and, like, worry about his family and that type of stuff. But right. that doesn't make it better that he's, like, pretty mean and uses a lot of gendered insults. Yeah, I'm just saying it's right. easier for him to be likable if you actually, like, read from his point of view. Um, sure. to mm -hmm. That definitely makes sense. And I do have sympathy for him and, like, understanding as well from where that's coming from. But I do think that I, like, I didn't read it as him being quite so, like, mean to girls in this specific gendered way and now i do read it that way and it's like more troubling and harder to like him which i don't think is necessarily supposed to be part of what's affecting your perception of his character yeah i don't know it's i do like his character like he's pretty annoying but i do you know i like that character type and i like 
I, you know, especially in the later books that, um, of the ones that we read, which is obviously still not very late, like, you know, you see him open up a little bit more, and, like, I like that, that's good stuff, but simultaneously, I couldn't enjoy reading a lot of scenes that he was in. Mm. Right. Like, even, like, when he goes to see Rachel in her gymnastic show at the mall, I want to read that. I mean, it's for plot-convenient reasons that he's there, and I. but I also want to read that as him, like, secretly wanting to support his friend. Um, but then he's just so rude about it. Yeah. yeah. He's a rude boy. It's the end of the episode. Gus left, so in the next episode, there will be no Gus. It'll just be the three of us finishing out talking about some some militarism and some ableism and many other wonders of the Animorph series, as well as friendship moments. So, thanks. Podcast is over now. <laughs> Wait, you didn't come up with an Animorph sign-off? I'm disappointed. Oh, I did, but oh, I didn't no, expect is... it to be two episodes. And now I'm like, it's it's a pretty bad one, and I didn't expect it to be two episodes, and I really wanted to only ever say it once. Because... Sorry, you gotta say it twice. You gotta say it twice. Well, I have a lot of regrets in my life, but you'll learn more about them next time. Lasagna morphs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry that Gus wasn't here to hear that. Wait, I gotta, I gotta text Gus. Just, yeah, please.